This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 50. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Hi, I'm Tom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the sixth Doctor Regeneration story, Time and the Rani. Uh, joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So, uh, first, let's play the sound of the trailer, and we'll get into discussing the uh, the this episode of Doctor Who. Sarani, what monstrous experiment are you dabbling in now? Stay back! The Rani's collected together the most creative minds and the most powerful matter in the universe. She's reserved this one for you. What is she up to? This monstrosity will give you the ability to change the order of creation. So, now listeners may, who are Doctor Who fans are, might be saying, you said this was the sixth Doctor Regeneration story, and I clearly heard the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, in that trailer. What are you trying to pull? Jimmy, what's going on here? Okay, so <laughs> um, the seventh, the sixth Doctor was Colin Baker, and if if you need a visual on him, he's the one with the amazing Technicolor Vomit dream coat. Um, he's, <laughs> he, he, he had he, the showrunner, John Nathan Turner, at the time, had asked the uh, the costume designers to come up with a really garishly bad costume, and wow, did they succeed! Um, <laughs> he um, he had a very abrasive personality the way he was written. Um, a lot of some people have argued that Colin Baker was miscast. Basically, what happened was Colin Baker had had a bit part on Doctor Who. Um, during Peter Davison's time, there was an episode where Peter Davison was recalled to Gallifrey and Colin Baker played a guard on Gallifrey who had the task of, uh, of capturing Peter Davison's doctor and eventually trying to execute Peter Davison's doctor. And at one point he shot Peter Davison's doctor and later joked that the way to get the part of doctor who is shoot your predecessor. Um, but then he was at a, the actor, Colin Baker was at a wedding that John Nathan Turner was at. And he apparently was really funny at this wedding and was just regaling people and getting everybody laughing. And John Nathan Turner said, that's my next doctor and hired him on the basis of what he saw at the wedding. And then they had this idea, which to my mind is just absolutely blazingly stupid of Let's introduce the main character to the show and make him unlikable and then warm the audience up to him over time. And that's uh, just, uh, you know, it, it, it's too clever by half. I think the main character needs to be someone the audience can genuinely relate, relate to. But they introduced uh, the sixth doctor, Colin Baker, as a really abrasive character. We saw it in his opening moments at the end of Caves of Androzani, where he's very dismissive of Perry, and he tells her she sounds egotistical and says that change has happened and not a moment too soon, thus seeming to diss the Peter Davison run. And then they had a gap where, uh, you know, between series. And then when they came back <clears throat> in the next episode, The Twin Dilemma, um, they made it even worse. I mean, they literally had the doctor attempt to kill mm -hmm. Perry by strangling her, killing his own companion. And of course he didn't, but, um, and he, he was very unstable. He was, you know, talking about like living on a, 
deserted planetoid for, you know, ages and ages and being out of contact with society, basically being a hermit. He was very unstable. He was very unlikable. And uh, the audience noticed. And Hmm. uh, the show had ratings problems. Um, The uh, higher ups at the BBC were not happy. Uh, The show went on a kind of hiatus for a while. This was the this was and really they wanted to cancel it, but the show went on a kind of hiatus for a while, <clears throat> and uh, they did a very unfortunate benefit record called Doctor in Distress that had this was a forty five record. It had Colin Baker uh, on it as well as many British you know celebrities and sort of celebrities. You they did a music video. You can watch it on YouTube. It is very embarrassing. Um, Colin Baker has indicated he wishes he hadn't been part of it, but he was. And, um, then the BBC said, okay, we're bringing the show back, but it's a kind of make or break situation. They gave him a 14 episode season and John Nathan Turner decided to do something very meta since the show was on trial for its life. Uh, they did a series called trial of the time Lord. It was a, a 14 part, uh, overarching story, but it had like three sub stories within it. And uh, in those sub stories, we saw the doctor on trial on Gallifrey being prosecuted by an evil guy called the Valyard, a a term we've heard in New Who, who was at the time explained as one of the doctor's sort of maybe future regenerations that had turned evil. And he was the prosecutor. We saw Perry's final episode. So she departed we saw the introduction of a new companion, Melanie Bush, who was just called Melanie on the show. They never said her last name, um, <clears throat> who is this perky redhead. And we never saw how she met the doctor because of the way the trial of a time lord was constructed. She was just introduced as one of the six doctor's companions, but we didn't see her origin. So that's fleshed out on Big Finish. Um then at the end of Trial of the Time Lord, uh the doctor is vindicated and Colin Baker had already begun to suffer from weight problems at this point. And, um, and so Melanie, uh, Mel, as she was called, was like getting him on exercise bikes and making him eat healthy. And at the very end of the last episode, as the two of them go off into the TARDIS, she's telling him that, that he needs to be drinking carrot juice. And he goes, Oh, carrot juice, carrot juice, carrot juice. And that's the last we see of Colin Baker's doctor on screen. Because when the BBC asked him to come back to film a traditional regeneration story, he said, I don't want to come back for just one story. You can have me for multiple stories, maybe a season, but I don't want to just do one story. And they said, sorry, we're not having you back for multiple stories. And so what they did to begin uh, Sylvester McCoy's era as the seventh doctor is they showed us a cheesy computer generated visual of the TARDIS flying through outer space being shot at by laser beams. And then we see uh, the doctor and Perry unconscious on the floor of the console room. And it's not really Colin Baker, even though he's dressed as Colin Baker, it's really Sylvester McCoy in in his costume and wearing a wig. And that's where the episode picks up. And by the way, it's Mel. You said Perry. Uh, Melanie. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. It's Mel. (laughs) Yes. Uh, so and that's where we begin this episode. And just to kind of place it in time, uh, uh, I don't know where that accent came from, but time uh, is uh, this this occurred. This episode aired September of 1987. Um, mm-hmm. It was the third. It's it, it's almost the third of three seasons of the, the Sixth Doctor or is it the first season of the Seventh Doctor, really? Yeah. Um, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the Sixth Doctor had three seasons. So, yeah, so we have the TARDIS. It's intercepted, as you mentioned. It crashes on this planet called Lacertia. Uh, the doctor's injured in the crash and regenerates. Mel is unconscious. Yeah, we, don't, um, no, we should note, we don't actually see how he's injured. Uh, there's right. a kind of fan mm-hmm. legend that he was killed by bumping his head on the TARDIS console uh, in the attack. <laughs> but we don't actually see that. So that's not in the episode. This, I'm sure this, there will someday be a big finish audio. Oh, there, there is. There is actually. Oh. Um, it's called The Sixth Doctor, The Last Adventure. So it fills that in. 
Um, I have it. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm, it's probably a little more dignified than going out by bumping his head. But from what we can infer, <laughs> it does seem to be some sort of blunt force trauma. Okay. Um, <laughs> which just it seems appropriate for this ill-fated uh, sixth doctor, I guess. So uh, they're captured by the Rani. Now, who is the Rani? So the Rani is a renegade Time Lord. She's a brilliant scientist, like all of the renegade Time Lords, apparently. And um, she was introduced in um, in an in an in an earlier episode of Colin Baker's Doctor. Basically, you can think of her, and a lot of people have pointed this out. She's basically like a female version of the Master, um, pre Missy. And she's incredibly amoral. She's incredibly ruthless. She's incredibly brilliant. She, her specialty is like neurochemistry. And um, and she was she some people have suggested that they'd kind of with Anthony Ainley's master, uh, who was the first major recurring master after Roger Delgado, they he had become kind of increasingly silly. Um, because he was always losing, he was always doing these crazy plots that didn't have a lot of a lot of sense to them. And so they thought, well, he's kind of become the Dr. Light of Doctor Who. He's he Dr. Light is a famous comic DC villain. And so they thought he was a little too comical. So they said, let's introduce or this is the claim. They said, let's introduce a new ruthless female version of the master. And she's called the Ronnie. Sort of like the, she's more like the she's more like the stereotypical cold scientist that everything is about doing the whatever she's focused on and no one matters. It's just what she wants, what she desires, what she thinks is best. Yeah. She has okay. no affection for anything else or anybody but else. But she does okay. like sexy leather costumes. <laughs> Apparently. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that the costumes in this episode are right out of the 80s from yeah. Mel's uh, oh, big shoulder pads the huge shoulders. and giant hair. <laughs> uh, the, the 80s band uh, Lacertian natives. Yeah, I know. Uh, Even the aliens giant look hair. 80s. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and whatever that thing is around their head that they, that they used to wear like a weird headband in a in a right out of a Gene Fonda workout video. I mean, it's really uh, something out of the 80s. So uh, the TARDIS, it, it appears out of a rainbow. Uh, that's that was new to me. I don't think I've seen that. Uh, it's materializes sort of out of a rainbow on this planet. Um, and the, the doctor is taken uh, unconscious from uh, to the Ronnie's laboratory where she injects him with this amnesia drug. Uh, and then she pretends to be Mel yeah. and, and tries to get him to fix uh, some machine machine in her well, lab that, that she can't make work. Interestingly though, the doctor, he comes out of being, you know, knocked unconscious and regenerating without regenerate post-regeneration amnesia. And then she, she knocks him out again. Right. And, and gives him amnesia. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Because there's a whole scene about, you know, the, the TARDIS needing the bicentennial refit and things like that, mm -hmm. you know. She also does a – the. I was impressed at her impersonation of Mel. Um, yes. You know, mm -hmm. Kate O'Mara is not Bonnie Langford. Uh, Bonnie Langford plays <laughs> no. Mel. Kate O'Mara plays the Ronnie. They, they don't look the same. I mean, they're different heights. Their hair is different and everything, of course, but they take care of that with a wig. Um, but like Kate O'Mara's voice is low and sultry when she plays the Ronnie, but it's high and perky when she plays Mel. Yep. And it's a very effective uh, impersonation. There's one moment where the doctor is kind of sort of hallucinating and he sees Bonnie Langford's face transitioned to Kate O'Mara's and back. And so you can see the differences, but they're not pronounced. I mean, in no. put in Mel's costume and doing Mel's voice, Kate O'Mara is really doing a good Mel impression. She is. Uh, it's kind of creepy, in fact. <laughs> kind of creepy. Yeah, she also um, looks a little creepy, too. It's like a creepy version yeah. of Mel. Well, and it's it, it, interesting because Kate O'Mara, she's better known for well she was on dynasty for a while here in the united states she's done a lot of horror things like that i mean she really wasn't known for being kind of a perky character mm -hmm. so she really <laughs> pulled which, it off which well. is what yeah. bonnie langford was known for she was like a perky british uh celebrity before she was on doctor who in fact the fact she already was a celebrity was one of the reasons she was cast mm -hmm. she i have to say as a as a companion i found mel kind of annoying Mm -hmm. A little bit like the little too perky. Half, 
You mean just because half her lines were screeching? Well, was gonna, that's exactly the word I was going to say because she screeches. She's like she's perky and screechy by 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 altern, uh, alternation. I mean, it's and she switches back and forth where she's she says something and it screeches and it says something again. It's just like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> there, exactly. There, there was. A, there was a version of the trailer that I was looking at, the, the sound of the trailer to play at the beginning, which I, I rejected because half of it was just Mel screeching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of her screeching, so she was a stage actress, you know, and did musicals and things. Um, I think she may have even played Peter Pan. I'm not sure. Um, but she uh, was known to be able to sing. And there's a legendary story that for a cliffhanger on Doctor Who, they asked her to scream in the key of F major so it would blend into the theme music as they did the cliffhanger. Wow. <laughs> and she was able to pull it off. <laughs> that That is impressive. I have to give her that. That is impressive. So, by the, by uh, the way, Mel has many more sides uh, than what we see in this episode. She's a computer programmer, for one thing. Right. And, um, and they flesh her out a lot. She's in a lot of big finish. And uh, and and she's a quite interesting character once you get to see the breadth of her. OK, OK, uh, that this episode doesn't necessarily do her character no. justice, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that one. Um, so it, it, right now, so a Lacursian named Icona takes the unconscious Mel from the TARDIS uh, and, and intends to use her as a hostage to force the Ronnie to liberate his people. He just assumes that all. Aliens are in league together, uh, and until Mel convinces Icona that she's not with the Rani after she saves his life from a trap. Um, so uh, the, then uh, the uh, the Doctor, uh, you know, has been working with the Rani. Uh, she's been kind of deflecting him and his uh, his um, intuitive uh, attempts to kind of figure out that she's not who he who we think uh, she is. And we, we, we get the beginnings, the understanding of what, what is the Ronnie up to? Mm -hmm. uh, we find out that she has like geniuses on ice, essentially the genius, uh, the, yeah. these, these geniuses from his throughout history, Including Einstein, Albert Einstein. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hypatia mentions, mm -hmm. uh, I actually have a Hi list here. Hypatia was a, a, a female philosopher from uh, around 2000 years ago, a little less than that. Okay. Um, for me. So yeah, it's, Okay, uh, so there's a whole bunch of these these brilliant intellects from from throughout history and from around the universe. Apparently, um, uh, Louis Pasteur is another one, mm -hmm. uh, and so she's got the doctor, um, the and guy. she's going the what the milk guy, the milk, the milk Louis guy, yes, Pasteur. pasteurization, yeah, the milk yes. guy, um, <laughs> <laughs> and the, she doesn't have homogenous. I don't know where he is, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the ancient <laughs> Greeks are a little harder, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Um, so she's going to use the doctor to fix this instrument, and then she's going to stick him in this in this box, which we'll find out later on what the box is for. And this is kind of a neat thing because uh, they the, we've heard various times that the doctor went to the academy on Gallifrey, and we've heard that the master did better than him in some things, but we've never l heard too much about well, what exactly did the doctor do? The Ronnie also was with them at the academy, and we know that she her specialty was like neurobiology, <clears throat> which we'll see in this story because she's going to be messing with people's brains. But the reason she needs the doctor to fix this machine for her is because of his specialty from the academy, which was thermodynamics. And so, um, so we learn a bit of the doctor's backstory here that we've never known before that, okay, that was like what his dissertation or whatever was on at the Academy. So he's a specialist in that and that's why she needs him. Okay. Okay. And so, because uh, they went there together, she knows about what his dissertation topic was or what his specialty was. Right. And, uh, so we get this scene where the, the doctor says he needs this instrument that's only on the TARDIS. Um, and they go they go back to the TARDIS, uh, where he also changes out of the uh, the the clown outfit of uh, the sixth doctor. And then we have this sort of this little scene where he's trying on all these different outfits of the his prior incarnations. Uh, what as, does he get the as well as the Napoleon second and you know some others? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's almost got, it's played for for laughs, kind of the way Tom Baker's is um, when Tom Baker mm -hmm. has the multiple costume changes. Right. Uh, and what we have is he tries. I saw the second doctor, the third doctor, the fourth, and the fifth. Those are the mm -hmm. the ones I saw uh, that he tried on. 
uh, and then he was started off wearing the sixth Doctor. So we have the only what was the only one he didn't have was the first Doctor. What was interesting to me from a production standpoint, you look at the backdrop. It's basically they took a black stage and put this stuff on there. Mm -hmm. Right. There's right. nothing behind anything. <laughs> it's just, you know, blackness. So yes. all they did was just took an empty stage, put a black cloth down, most likely, or something like that, and stell the stuff on top of it and lit it up brightly. Yeah, you wonder whether it was uh, the scene was an afterthought shot later on, you know, to, to fill in something. You know, to fill it in or, or something along those lines. Uh, that's often what you see with that when when you see a stage like that, um, a, uh, a set like that. Um, <clears throat> one of the let's see, um, there uh, there are these creatures that the that uh, the Ronnie has under her control. They're called tetraps. Uh, they're apparently not native to this planet, Lacertia. Uh, they're sort of bat-like in that they hang from the ceiling, uh, but they have they have eyes four on every eyes. side of their head four eyes i i think my mom was a tetrap actually because she had eyes in the back of her head <laughs> so yeah, i'm a little worried about that but uh uh they they are uh, they're apparently at her beck and call my sense was and i wasn't I, I, I didn't i wasn't sure whether this was true or not that one of them she had somehow altered to be uh more verbal and mm -hmm. uh less uh feral less animal-like and whereas most of them were more more like trained animals. I don't know if that was, a, there was one she called Yurak, and, but then yeah. the others, it seemed like they were just more like animals kept in a cage. I uh, mean, that's, that's a possibility. Another possibility is they're more of a pack animal and the alpha tetrap is the one that would interact with people, with other people in that right. kind of situation. That's, but possible. yeah, it's something where there was one of them that spoke and the rest of them were just kind of blundering around basically. Um, I thought it was interesting and maybe a flaw in design that you have to actually enter the cage to feed them. Uh, mm, that maybe it'd be yeah. better to design it that you can feed them without having to open the door. Uh, but, you know, that's if, if the Lucretians are asking me, you know, to design stuff for them, I'll let them know that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mel and Icona are chased by a tetrap uh, and Mel gets caught in a trap. We saw a different uh, Lucretian. She ended up in this. She, she tripped Bubble. a tripwire. And this bubble formed around her and then kind of spun her around and smashed her into a wall in an explosion that uh, that stripped the flesh from her bones and left her as a skeleton, which is uh, uh, gruesome. Mm. And, uh, and mm -hmm. uh, luckily, the doctor's companion has she has luck on her side and that when she's in the trap, she ends up landing in, in the, a pond um, and it doesn't explode the bubble. And Icona releases her. Uh, this, this, and then this bubble trap, it's kind of silly. Um, yeah. But it's, but it's also kind of nice because it's very distinctive. It's not like a normal trap. I mean, they're clearly trying to think here and give us something different. And so this bubble, you know, you trip on the wire, this glass looking, weird, iridescent looking glass bubble forms around you. It's got a solid base at the bottom so you can stand on it. And then it goes spinning crazily insanely fast around its axis and it, you must be like frozen in a force field inside of it or you'd be killed um right but it, it goes in spinning around insanely fast it bounces off the hills that they're surrounded by and causes explosions where it hits and uh and 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 it's and then when it comes to rest like when mel is in it in the pond you know you can come up to it and touch it and and the alien works on getting her out of it. It's it's an it, even though it's kind of silly, it's still an interesting trap. You know that so that they right. put mm -hmm. some thought into. Yes, it's not the usual sort of thing that you would that you've seen before. It's not a pit um, that you fall into or something. Right, right, right. Um, they're they're and meanwhile they're being stalked by one of these tetrap creatures. Uh, and Icona shoots glitter at the tetrap apparently. <laughs> that that uh, it's, I think it's deadly to tetraps or something along those lines. Confuses uh, their vision. Yes, it's Cybermen a glitter are gun. Vulnerable to gold, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, th then uh, we we we're back with the doctor and the Ronnie, um, and uh, we're in, in the lab. The Ronnie's still pretending to be Mel, um, and they discover what was wrong with her machine, um, and then we we have this discussion of strange matter. Yeah. Um, that she says was really was discovered at Princeton in 1984, which now, is do, true. Do we know if that's true? Yes, okay. this is true. Strange matter is a is a real thing. At least it's theoretical. I don't know if we've actually found it, but what it is is it's different 
from what we are made out of. We're made out of nuclear matter. And so our um, atoms have nu nucleuses, which are made of protons and neutrons. And the protons and neutrons are made out of quarks, but there are different kinds of quarks. Uh, and protons and neutrons are made out of what are known as up and down quarks. But in addition to up and down quarks, there are also strange quarks and charmed quarks. And strange matter, this is all real physics, strange yep. matter is matter that is made out of up, down, and strange quarks. And one of the things that the show gets right is that uh, strange matter would be incredibly dense. And so, so, for example, you know how if a star is, is really massive but not massive enough to become a black hole, when it collapses, it squeezes out all the protons and electrons and becomes a neutron star made out of neutron matter. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a stage hypothetical further than that, where it, if it's even heavier, but not heavy enough to become a black hole, it'll squeeze, it'll squeeze the neutrons down into being uh, strange matter and become a quark star. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and obviously that would be very heavy. And so the strange uh, matter that they talk about being really heavy in this story, I mean, that's real physics. Now, they, they weren't prescient in this because this had been theorized in 1984, but they are picking up and trying to incorporate real science into the show here. So um, do we know if strange matter is, is as explosive as they mentioned? Was that the part of the theory? Um, I'm just... Uh, if you have a small amount of strange... Of, of My understanding is if you have a small amount of highly compressed matter, like including uh, neutronium, the degenerate neutron matter, and you don't have enough of it to hold it together that it will explode okay. if memory serves. It's, it, so it, it's, it's nice that they're trying to incorporate, um, you know, real science and real, real scientific concepts, uh, especially of the time. Uh, it's only a few years removed from when they actually discovered it at Princeton. I'm, I'm assuming it was Princeton and not uh, Princeton, which is what the doctor says. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, well, <laughs> Sylvester McCoy has some interesting pronunciations, yes, he doesn't does. he? And, and that's something we haven't brought up is, is the contrast. Like we talked about last time uh, how uh, they sort of do, or I don't know if it was last time or this early in this episode, we talked about the, the A-B sort of doctors where they, they, they contrast them. Yeah. Uh, and Sylvester McCoy, in, in contrast to Colin Baker's very abrasive, uh, arrogant doctor, is comes across as very clownish in a sense uh very yes. uh, uh, funny and and kind of even goofy a little bit uh, and, and that well and that and that's and that's sylvester mccoy mm -hmm. correct me if i'm wrong but he did a lot of vaudeville type yeah. acting before this so you know you see the scenes where he's he's tripping or you know the, the fake hitting his head on the wall where you put your hand there and smack your hand stuff like that well that's all you know very much the slapstick vaudeville type acting yes. he does the spoons and things like that <laughs> yeah he and so they're they're trying to make him likable and funny uh, in contrast to the previous doctor also and and you're right father uh, sylvester mccoy was known as a kind of slapstick comedian guy before the show he was also known as being kind of edgy and this is actually a bit of a departure for him because you know how there's a kind of sort of circus freak show type of performer that like, for example, would drive nails up your nose and stuff like that. My understanding is mm -hmm. that's the kind of comedic tradition that Sylvester McCoy was coming from. And so he had this kind of edgy, younger comedy. And this is a more mature persona. He's not doing that weird stuff, but he is incorporating kind of showbiz vaudeville comedy elements into his performance. One of the things that'll that also you may notice is he has a bunch of malapropisms. Um, a, a malapropism is where you say the wrong word, uh, apparently unknowingly. Like, uh, and, and they're named after a character from a from a I guess a 17th century play called The Absolutes, uh, after a character named Mrs. Malaprop, who was famous for them. Uh, malaprop translating it literally from Latin would mean like bad proposition, bad word, you know, something like that. Um, but, uh, but she would 
talk about things, you know, just like an allegory on the banks of the Nile <laughs> instead of alligator. Right. Yeah. And and you'll notice that in this story, Sylvester McCoy starts using malapropisms where he'll, in a kind of Biff Tannen-like way, he'll start to say one famous phrase and bend it into another. Like, you know, uh, Biff Tannen from Back to the Future would be, you know... Uh, Make like a leaf and... Make like a leaf and and split <laughs> yeah, or whatever you know here. yeah um and so Sylvester McCoy does that kind of thing. Ironically, he also later apparently talks about I missed this, but he apparently talks about um if the Ronnie's plan to rewrite history works, various famous historical figures will not be born. Inclu- and he mentions Mrs. Malaprop, oh. who is a fictional. Oh, figure. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, that's, interesting. that's good. That's very meta. <laughs> so we have this uh, moment where Mel finally enters the lab um, and doesn't recognize the doctor while the doctor thinks Mel is the Ronnie. So, uh, you know, because the doctor has regenerated since Mel last saw him. And so she doesn't recognize him. He doesn't recognize her. It's a classic co- comedic routine. Uh, we, hilarity ensues until they figure out who the other is because of a mention of carrot juice. Carrot juice. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what uh, triggers the, the doctor's memory and allows him to remember that the uh, the Ronnie is uh, is impersonating Mel at this point. Um, the, the Ronnie has gone off. I don't know if I mentioned has gone off to get this material that the doctor says is needed to fix this machine uh, that she said the Lacertians would have. And in fact, she goes back to her uh, TARDIS, which is very interesting. I don't think we've I don't think I've ever seen. Well, we've seen the master's TARDIS in camouflage. But I don't think we've ever seen a, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a, an uncamouflaged TARDIS like this, uh, where, where we see the Ronnie's is like this pyramid shaped, uh, uh, little structure, um, which is very interesting. Yeah. Well, it kind of fit the, it fit the architecture of her other, uh, equipment. They're all in that kind of that pyramid shape. Uh, usually, usually, uh, you see, especially actually in New Who, but a, a, a TARDIS in its natural form, quote unquote, looks more like a cylinder yeah, it, with a door it, cut out of it. It's later established that way. The Ronnie's TARDIS, although it does look like a pyramid, I mean, she could have just customized it to look like that because she likes it. But it also could be blending into its environment because it has these kind of pink uh, triangle elements to it. it it's very much a kind of 1980s design and looks kind of like you know it's something that the aliens on this planet could have That's built true. you know they have a similar color palette and uh and kind of feel to stuff so it may be actually blending into its environment i don't know now it's it's, it's kind of interesting because the first time we saw the ronnie during the colin baker era we actually saw insider tardis and they had a full developed interior set for her TARDIS this time it looked like she was just in front of a green screen with some kind of cave like backdrop yeah it was very very Mm -hmm. much uh, obvious that it was a green screen uh there um so we we have these the Christian leaders Bayes and Faroon and Bayes is an interesting character because he's a he's collaborating with the Ronnie under duress, uh, and he's he'll he, he'll cooperate with her because he's trying to protect his people, but he'll undermine her at every possibility as long as it doesn't endanger his people. Uh, it's so he helps the Doctor and Mel as much as he can, but not to the point where he can be discovered. It's very uh, interesting and uh, a subtle uh, characterization that they built here with him. Uh, and Bayus and his wife Faroon explain the Ronnie's plan to the Doctor that uh, she's kidnapped genius minds, uh, they're and channeling them into a single giant brain to solve this problem, which is that she wants to explode this asteroid composed of strange matter to create a supernova during the approaching solstice for Lucertia. Uh And the brains are their their job is to find a lightweight substitute for an explosive to set off the strange matter because she wants to put the explosive on the rocket. Strange matter is too dense. The rocket wouldn't make it there. Um, there's a, there's a giant plot hole here and maybe I'll bring it up now, uh, rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, is the Ronnie unable to build a guidance system for her rocket? <laughs> because <laughs> this is like, it has to, 
her rocketry was her, her specialty is neurochemistry. Well, yeah, her, she, rocketry was not her expertise at yeah. academy. This is so. rocket science, after well, all. She, she she was capable of building a giant rocket, uh, but not capable of one that could change direction uh, and lock onto an object. Because the the yeah, she should have gone. To yes, Best the, Buy. the the rocket has to launch at a yeah. very specific yeah. moment because it's a straight trajectory, a fixed trajectory to where the asteroid will be. Um, and even a few seconds off and it will, it will entirely miss. So, um, she was, come on, give her credit. She's a brain surgeon, not <laughs> a rocket. It's scientist. not rocket surgery. Uh, <laughs> I'm a surgeon, not a rocket yeah. scientist, Jim. So, uh, yeah. so the doctor uh, escapes from the Ronnie's lab, uh, not, but not before taking a key part of the machine. Um, and meanwhile, uh, that, uh, Mel has separated from the doctor and she gets captured by the, the Tetrap Yurak. Uh, who gives her a hickey and knocks her uh, unconscious and paralyzed her? Something about the, the, this this uh, alien's very long tongue. Uh, again, maybe it's a, a, a paralytic poison or something. Um, meanwhile, the Icona takes the doctor to the the center of leisure, which sounds like a very nice place. I think I'd like to go to the the center of leisure, uh, and this is where the Lacursians are. Yeah, it sounds it sounds even more dramatic than the leisure center. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the Pleasure Palace. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the, the doctor. Yeah. So the Lacursians are living a life of indolence, uh, but under the threat of the Ronnie's like killer insects. I mean, it's this very strange uh, mm-hmm. s- relationship between the, the, the Ronnie and these and the uh, Lacursians um, here. And Icona is a we can describe him. he's a rebel. He, like, he's, he, he, he's mad at his own people because they refuse to stand up for themselves to, to work. To 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 uh, fight back against the Rani, they'd rather just live uh, a lazy lifestyle under the Rani's uh, control, uh, which is, and so he's like a classic rebel figure. Um, and then the the Rani discovering the uh, the stolen part has Mel in her control, so she offers a trade. Uh, she will trade a Mel for the stolen part, uh, but in the course of the trade, the Rani tricks the Doctor with a hologram of Mel. And so now the Ronnie has both the part and Mel in her, in her control. Um, so this is our third version of Mel in this Exactly. Story. The hologram. The hologram, the Ronnie yeah. Mel, and the real Mel. Uh, the, the doctor is, uh, uh, is captured by the, the, by the Ronnie and connected, his intellect is connected to the brain, which <laughs> creates this, this, ama- this funny schizophrenia in this giant brain because he starts making these terrible puns and causing the, the, the brain yeah. to kind of yeah. break down. Um, no, notice, by the way, she's invented the neurological equivalent of parallel processing. Uh, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, by, by connecting multiple brain uh, people to the, to the one brain. Um, and then yeah. she, so she disconnects him, but, uh, but the doctor ends up giving her the answer anyway, inadvertently. Um, and the Ronnie finds that what she needs is Loy Hargul. This is the material that will replace the strange matter in the rocket. Um, and meanwhile, the Ronnie, uh, glad they made it so easy. To yes. Say. Yes. I'm trying to figure what, like, where did mm-hmm. I, I'd love to know where the writer like came up with this, this, this word, uh, the, the Loy Hargul, like it, it's gotta be. There's going to be a story there. Uh, maybe they were gargling when they uh, when they were came up with yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> as good a theory as any. So meanwhile, she the the, the Ronnie had just decided that the killer insects uh, that that she can release at any moment to kill all the Christians are not enough to keep them in line. She's decided they need anklets too, the explosive anklets. Um, I'm not sure why, like like except for the purposes of the plot um, that that they need this later. But but she sends. Uh, Bayus and Farunov to fit everybody with an, uh, an anklet. The doctor, uh, meanwhile, is um, is able to remove the anklets from everyone. I, I guess I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit because we get this explanation from the Rani of what her plan is, which is just to use the supernova mm-hmm. to create a, a shell of chronons, which is the particles of time around Lakersha that would turn the planet into a giant time manipulator with the side effect of killing everyone on the planet, including the Tetraps, uh, which Yurak, uh, the head Tetrap, overhears um, and is apparently distressed by. Uh, her aim is... Now, wait, chronons, isn't, isn't that chronotons? Oh, wait, that's the Star <laughs> Trek version <laughs> time of chronons. Yes. Yeah. Particles, <laughs> chronons. 
by the way, according to, again, the, the TARDIS data core, the TARDIS wikia, Loy Hargill is an anagram for Holy Oh, Grail. it oh. is. Oh. Su- is a super MacGuffin. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They, they like those anagrams in Doctor Who. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, th- that's, that's interesting. Um, Holy Grail. Okay. Um, so the, uh, the, 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 the Rodney's aim is she wants to bring order to history and change the course of evolution on Earth and, and all kinds of things like that. Save the dinosaurs. And for once, I and the Ronnie agree. <laughs> well, that, that principle... Are, Save the dinosaurs. Are the Solorians, the, the, the dinosaurs, uh, saved? The, the... Yeah, but I want Triceratops. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know... Who doesn't? I, ever since I was a boy, I wanted Triceratops. Who doesn't want... And trilobites. Yes. Uh, I, we re- really need trilobites. But the, but the raptors... <laughs> raptors yeah, and rexes, yes. Um... So uh, the Ronnie heads off to her TARDIS to 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 be out of the way while things happen so that she doesn't get trapped and killed on on the planet, leaving uh, Yurak in charge. But of course, Yurak knows what her plan is and decides, uh, you know, he's not going to allow that to happen. Uh, The doctor and Icona and Mel, they remove the anklets from everyone and deploy them around the brain as a as a they're going to they're going to use the explosives and the anklets to destroy the brain. And then the doctor also messes with the rocket. You know, I've 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 heard of people. I've heard it suggested that various people have brains, have their brains in other parts of their body (laughs) besides their head. But I've never heard it suggested for an ankle. Yes, that's a little. (laughs) You get your head and your ankle. Uh, The so the doctor messes with the rocket launch so that it will delay by several seconds. And then Bayus, who has been the collaborator throughout, he's going to sacrifice his life to ensure that the brain is killed. Uh, and and uh, and that the plan goes off as as uh, as as they they've set it up. Um, the doctor evacuates the geniuses to the TARDIS, where Einstein shows some very special interest in the uh, control panel for the TARDIS. Um, and the doctor, and it's yeah, all so the, uh, the doctor gets to make a few more puns. Um, and we see the ro- the rocket misses the asteroid, and the the Ronnie finds her TARDIS filled with tetraps who are going to forcibly take her back to her planet to make plasma, I guess, is what they've been feeding them. Um, and, yes. Okay. And then um, the Doctor and Mel say goodbye to the Lycurtians and uh, they give the antidote to the killer insects uh, poison that, that, that are still there. Um, but uh, Icona destroys it, saying his people should learn to solve their own problems. Yeah. Uh, Dude, No. <laughs> If you have exactly. a plague, someone gives you the cure, you say, thank and you. Then, <laughs> and you use and it. And you use it, and then you take responsibility for yourselves after. There will be plenty of challenges tomorrow. You don't need to make the first one out of the gate. Let's solve a killer insect <laughs> right. problem. Right, exactly. Before people die. So, yes. Uh, and then uh, what I found interesting was that the, the the I think the most interesting character in all this was the character, as I said before, it was Zabeus, who has this redemption arc. You know, he, he has he, he changes. He mm-hmm. moves through this through this ep- these episodes or this the story um from this you know collaborator to to helping the undermine the 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 Ronnie to 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 being definitive in giving his life to save them and uh, i mean for, for my money that's the the most interesting character in all this but you know what what else uh, what is your what is your take on these episodes um you know it's it's fairly straightforward you know we had one two three mm-hmm. um I, I thought you know what go, you first, Father Corey. Okay, well, one one thing I kind of talking actually not so much about these episodes, um, but kind of going forward is you know they left the Ronnie story open. She you know at least as this episode ends, she's still out there somewhere. Yeah, she's a, a prisoner on her own TARDIS at that point. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know we've seen with the Master, you know they they escape Time Lords escape from everything. So. Um, there's 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 been always these rumors with New Who that she's going to come back somehow. You know, when when Missy was first announced, that was one of the rumors was that she's not the master, that she was actually the Ronnie mm-hmm. regenerated. You know, and, and I guess I personally I would like to see that character come back in New Who. So there is just to to uh, so for Ronnie fans, um, there is one other televised. Uh, appearance of the Ronnie besides 
the original Ronnie episode in this one, they did during the cancellation era, they did a special called Dimensions in Time, which is which stars the Ronnie as the villain. Um, But it's it's kind of low quality and it's a questionable canonicity, even though it has lots Mm -hmm. of the original actors in it. Um, So it's kind of unsatisfying in that regard. Big Finish uh, was slated to do uh, a, 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 a series of things using Kate O'Mara as the Ronnie, um, but then she died. And mm-hmm. rather than cancel the series, they checked with her estate and her her relatives, her family, whatever, said she would have wanted you to continue. And so they recast the Ronnie and had her regenerate. And so there is mm-hmm. a series of big finish audios um, that star or that feature a regenerated Ronnie. In terms of seeing the Ronnie in New Who, it's possible, um, and it would be interesting. But since the Ronnie is basically a female version of the Master, and now that mm-hmm. we've just had a female version of the Master, it would feel a little too similar. Um, they could always flip uh, the genders though and have a male version of the Ronnie. Um, exactly. to make it, you know, feel, feel differently. So that could be possible, but otherwise I think they'd have to wait a while. And if they didn't conclude that the Ronnie's kind of redundant now that we, now given the stellar, you know, breakout quality of Missy. You know, it's interesting that in the original series, the, the classic, we saw lo- many more Gallifreyans, uh, time Lords. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw the war chief, we saw the master, we saw, the meddling monk, the meddling uh, monk, the Ronnie, um, and um, uh, you know, we saw the, the the There's, one. F- we went to Gallifrey and a bunch of politicians. Well, yeah, and then the. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Well, and sorry, there was a, a an episode that was partially recorded, uh, written by Douglas Adams called Shada. Uh, Shada, and there was a professor in there who was a Gallifreyan in an older TARDIS. His office was actually an older TARDIS that was even older than the Type Forty that the Doctor has. Yeah. It was only uh, partially so recorded. I mean, it was there was a big labor uh, strike. There was a year in the seventies, a big labor strike at the BBC, and it caught half that episode. Um, they actually ended up reusing part of that episode, just a small snippet of that episode, for the uh, Five Doctors for Tom Baker's part in the Five Doctors. They just show him, and this, they take a little of this scene and then okay. move it on, you know, so that he's captured in some little. Time okay. pocket or whatever they they have done various reconstructions uh they've taken the existing footage or in some cases they've just taken the script uh and created uh versions of shada that you can watch or listen to that uh character by the way that time lord is professor chronotus or chronotus yep um and big finish again we talk a lot about them but they did a lot especially during uh the hiatus of doctor who to produce episodes they took the eighth doctor, Paul McGann, and with Lala Romana, Ward. Mm-hmm. Lala Ward, who played Romana too, who was in the original Shada, and redid the whole thing. And then the BBC brought out a web comic where it was kind of a, a animated, still animated um, web comic based off that big finish Interesting. series. Yeah, and there's another where they I that I know I've seen, I forget exactly who put it out. It must have been the BBC, but um uh where they took the footage with Tom Baker and yep. uh provided linking narration for the scenes that didn't get filmed because of the labor yes. strike and put that yep. out as well. Yeah, Tom Baker did the I remember watching that, oh boy, probably twenty years ago and, and Tom Baker, as I recall, did the actual uh narration between the scenes so the the classic who was much i feel i feel like it was much more comfortable with with a broader variety of of villains and companions uh than than we get in the new who mm-hmm. yeah well part of that and also with the time lords you mentioned how many more we saw one of the reasons for that is because they decided to um when they brought back Doctor Who in 2005, they decided to narrow the focus back onto the Doctor himself. Mm-hmm. So he's not—he's the last Time Lord now. 
And, um, and that way they don't have to deal with all the massive backstory. They wanted to create a fresh jumping on point like it was when the first season of Doctor Who aired. It's like the doctors yep. and Susan are the only Time Lords we know. And we want it focused on them. And only gradually do we get this much broader canvas. They wanted to do something similar to that so that you didn't have to know all of the previous stuff. They did something similar mm -hmm. when they rebooted Superman in DC Comics in uh, 1986. Because, you know, originally in 1938, they introduced Superman. And then gradually you got Crypto and Supergirl and Candor and Argo City and all these different <laughs> survivors of Krypton. When, and it kind of got away from the purity of Superman as the last Kryptonian. And so then when John Byrne rebooted Superman in 86, back to he's the last Kryptonian. They kind of did something similar on Doctor Who. It's back to he's the only Time Lord we know. And now they're they're expanding it out again. Yeah. Right. Slowly. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting, too, when you look at uh, old Who, you know, we, we looked at the... Uh, the war games, you know, this 10 part mega episode, you know, 250 minutes of video, two hours. And now we look at time of the Ronnie and it's less than a hundred minutes long, you know, and it, it's kind of interesting. The seasons got shorter. Yeah. You know, the, the, previously there would be 26 to 30 week seasons, So half a year. Well, then they cut them down to 14. Like you mentioned, trial of the time Lord was a 14 episode season as was uh, the, the Sylvester McCoy episodes. So now these serials are actually no longer than two-part episodes of New Who. Yeah. Because they're 25-minute episodes, four episodes, 100 minutes. New Who is 45-minute episodes, two-parter is 90 minutes. So that's why they seem like they move a lot better. Yeah. Because they're not stretching it out for you know two hours long for this entire story. And a consequence of that is they have more money to spend per episode. Um, which exactly. means they don't need to stretch it out for 10 parts to justify all the sets and costumes they had to buy. Right. Mm -hmm. So, Father Corey, you told me before we started recording that you've probably watched this uh, in a different format than anyone else who's watched this episode for uh, for this episode of uh, Secrets of Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, so before I did a silly thing like Enter the Seminary, I had started collecting uh, the episodes of Doctor Who on the high-tech uh, technology of the day, VHS. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this happens to actually be one of the episodes oh. that I have on the original 1995 edition of the videotape. <laughs> and you still have a player uh, for that rectangular cubic object? Yes, it's actually the same player I bought when I was in the Air Force 20-some years ago that I watched this tape on throughout the year. Wow. It still works great. Actually, it's it looks really good on the new TV. I've got, you know, on a on a modern LCD TV, it actually <laughs> looks pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of impressed. Um, but yeah, it's it's a hi-fi videotape. So there you go. I'm impressed that you still have it. I, I got rid of my VCR a few years yeah. ago. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, it's sad storage for a while, but it still works. So I'm I'm not complaining. Cool, uh, Dom. You asked, uh, you know, for a kind of general assessment of this episode. Um, I thought it was certainly a breath of fresh air after the, <clears throat> you know, troubled Colin Baker run. And I, by the way, I don't want to diss Colin Baker. He, I've seen him in other stuff. I think he was just handed, uh, including other Doctor Who stuff, where he's much better. I think he was just handled badly by the showrunners as a character. Mm -hmm. John Nathan Turner made a bunch of mistakes in this era, and um, and the way they handled the Doctor and deliberately tried to make him abrasive in the beginning was one of those ways. Yeah. I think they repeated that error to some extent with Peter Capaldi, but started fixing it before they torpedoed the show the way they did here. Um, but I, I found this a brush of fresh air, fresh air. Obviously it doesn't take itself terribly seriously. It's very silly as a story <clears throat> and deliberately silly. And some of that will move forward. Some of that silliness will move forward into the Sylvester McCoy era. He does tend to have some silly elements drawing on his background as a comedic actor, but he will grow in interesting ways too, because he becomes a very devious and manipulative doctor, a very calculating mm -hmm. figure who, like Patrick Troughton, uses the comedic exterior 
as a kind of blind to keep people from realizing just how in control of things he is. But he gets much more devious than Patrick Troughton ever did. And yeah. this is actually alluded to in um, in a line in The End of Time, the David Tennant regeneration story, where he's kind of talked, Wilfred asks him, have you ever killed before? And the doctor, the 10th doctor says, oh, yes. And he starts recounting things. And then he says, and then I got clever. And it's the seventh doctor that he's talking about when he says, mm -hmm. and then I got clever. You know, and, and he get, the seventh doctor becomes almost dark at points. There are yeah. some episodes oh, yeah. that are downright dark. Um, I mean, there's some brilliant episodes, too. Uh, one of my favorites, yet another one that I've got on VCR is uh, Revelation of the Daleks. Was yeah. that his? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes. And, and that has... And that's one I've got on VCR. It's, it's either that or yeah. remember... I guess it, maybe it's Remembrance of the Daleks, where they bring back in Davros, and you have, you know, the sinister stuff with Davros and the Daleks, but you also have the comedic with uh, Sylvester yeah. McCoy doing the famous mocking of Davros, talking about how Davros wants unlimited power, power unlimited rice pudding, and so et cetera, forth. Et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> yeah. It's it's I mean it's absolutely a brilliant episode and, and the whole and it, it, the the whole plot line of that episode is his deviousness coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he he tricks Davros basically. Not to spoil it if you go back and watch it. It's I, I think it's one of the better episodes of this era of Doctor Who for sure. Um and Jimmy talked about John Nathan Turner. Um if you for people who really watch Doctor Who and they look at kind of the behind the scenes, John Nathan Turner to this day is considered to be the worst showrunner that series has ever had uh he did a lot he did a lot of good he did but he, he did, did a lot he, of things. he made some good decisions um he did good he came on at the end of the tom baker era and he was the one who yep. cast peter davison and that was a that was a win yep. um he he did a lot of good things but he also did things like chameleon the yes. um companion the robotic companion that was so bad the doctor himself put it out of its misery <laughs> Um, exactly. And also, uh, the whole Colin Baker fiasco, but he did other good things and like, um, shifting. One of the things he did that he doesn't get a lot of credit for is doctor who had been this Saturday afternoon tea time show and its ratings mm -hmm. were dying. Uh, they were going down at the end of Tom Baker. And so what he did was they put it on two nights a week instead of on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So you could watch it two on two weeknights and the ratings yep. shot back up and and they yeah. you know they really did well during the early Peter Davison era but, but then they came down again with Colin Baker and then you look at and again you know I, I like Sylvester McCoy I, I, I do too he, he's one of my he's one of my top three top four doctors definitely but you look at some of the episodes are horrible I mean he had some terrible episodes um the, the the circus one yeah as one you know there's a uh was it delta and the bannerman delta and the Banner another Man, one i mean there's the happiness patrol there's some yeah there are some episodes he, he's he's got like the contrast yeah just incredible episodes and terrible episodes one of the if, and, if for, so for, since we mentioned a couple of the problematic ones one of the ones that i love from the sylvester mccoy era is ghost light it is yes. it is brilliant it is incredibly freaky it is just weird yeah and it is easily one of the weirdest doctor who episodes ever or stories but it's ever. fantastic it's fantastic yeah so so very interesting times if you go back and watch this era of doctor who you know of course this was towards the end before it went on hiatus for quite a few years mm -hmm. cancellation hiatus um the dark eras of Doctor Who when it was not being brought The dark times. <laughs> and we will we will if soon talk about that movie that I don't know if we really want to talk about it, but we <laughs> oh, will. Yeah, Anyways. no, it's fine. <laughs> I mean it's got problems, but it's okay. It's part of canon. It's okay. So we'll be talking about the the regeneration of the seventh doctor into the eighth. So. Yes. That will be uh that'll be next time. So so just to kind of wrap up here, that that's that's it from us on on uh, this episode, this regeneration story, which is not really a regeneration story. Um, what did you? It has a regeneration. That, that's, in right, it, so that's right. That's uh, right. Yep. When we when we come back at some point, we're going to do first episodes of Doctors. Uh, where you know we're going to look at all the first episodes. We've looked at already the first episode of the first Doctor. 
we've seen the first episode of the ninth doctor we've talked about that uh here um i suppose we're no, we'll just have to skip the seventh doctor because we've already done that we have to decide what yeah, we're going to do about that about yeah that. yeah but uh but we'll we'll be you know we'll be back to sylvester mccoy again i think uh so oh, what yeah. did what did you think of the sixth Doctor regeneration story, the seventh Doctor introduction story, time in the Ronnie? Um, let us know by visiting tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback. Send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, you can send us voice feedback if you can keep it short. About two minutes would be great. Uh, you can even record it on your phone using the voice memo function and emailing it to us from there. You can and find that's, links. That's especially good feedback because this is an audio show. We love to play audio feedback. Yes, we want to hear your voice. Uh, yes. So uh, you can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes at tridio.com. Uh, we'll be back next time, as we said. We'll, we'll be discussing the the mid-90s Doctor Who TV movie uh, that played on American television. Uh, until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for sharing in the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Always glad to be here. Uh, once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, a bird in the hand keeps the Doctor away. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.